Constantino Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the Babylon 5 Season 4 episode, The Face of the Enemy. So a lot of things come to a head in this episode, uh, and I can finally talk about some things outside of spoilers, even though some of it was uh, pretty obvious with the very blatant foreshadowing, but I will get there in a minute. Uh, I want to talk first about um, the... Uh, the, the sort of the growing sensation of something bigger on the horizon with the telepaths. You know, uh, the reveal that Edgar's entire deal is he's manufacturing a virus that affects telepaths, and then his intention uh, is to release this virus and then blackmail uh, with, uh, with the cure effectively making the telepath subservient um uh they they, they liken it to the battle be between the homo sapiens and neanderthals in the human's natural evolution and it really shows humans arrogance while the telepaths are not a natural evolution of our species it was a thing implanted in us by the vorlons and ultimately and, and the, the virus, as hinted at by Bester, is probably shadow technology because the telepaths were a threat to the shadows. Um, this isn't natural evolution, but they have this arrogance about them that they that they can overcome uh, the next stage of humanity by creating a slave race out of the telepaths by creating an edge. And that is reinforced, really, with the, the growing tensions. It's, it's been there since season one, but it's really coming to a head now of, you know, the the Psychor especially sees itself as, you know, uh, pretty, uh, pretty superior to everybody. And, um, you know, the quote Sheridan, fascists are us, uh, you know, uh, so the... the, the 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 situation is, is that the mundanes or the normal people, you know, uh, see the this group of people as having this uh, gross advantage over them, and they can't overcome that, and they're scared, and they're letting fear dictate what is uh, what what they're feeling, and so they're prejudiced, they're biased, uh, and they treat them pretty horribly, uh, and then the the telepaths are basically put into a corner where they're regimented along a certain line, so therefore they're for forced to believe in an ideology uh, of uh, sort of self-preservation. And that leads, uh, to take a famous Star Trek quote, superior ability breeds superior ambition. And so therefore it's like, if we controlled the world, the world would be better for us. Uh, it's once again that cycles of violence theme that runs throughout this entire show. But we're really starting to see it heat up with uh, the telepaths. Um, you know, uh, Lita, when she's uh, at the Mars Resistance with Franklin, uh, you know, transporting the shadow augmented telepaths for a reason we, the viewer, don't know yet. Um, you know, uh, number one and the rest of the Resistance is very concerned about having her around because... You know, uh, she's uh, the the Bloodhound units have been released by the Psychor, and they're they're like advanced, you know, police. They're SWAT basically, uh, and th they they have the legal forthright to deep scan someone without their consent, 
And as we know, deep scans can cause severe trauma and even even permanent damage to someone's mind. Uh, and so, you know, it's a secret police. And they're scared, and they have every right to be scared, but it's leading to increased tension, whereas Lita is clearly and obviously on their side. Um, there is still this inclination to not trust her because of who and what she is. Uh, and that that is even a sort of embellished upon in Lita's little speech to Franklin, where she talks about, and, and this is horrifying, you know, it, I still think about it as like one of the creepiest things I've ever heard in a TV show about, you know, them, them tracking down this killer who was hunting down telepaths and the, the regulars, you know, the mundanes had no care. It was just telepaths who cares. So the psycho took it upon themselves to find this person. They found him and then they, you know, didn't want to kill him. That'd be too easy. That lit him off too quickly. So they tortured him. And they implanted things in his mind that he can see. And they have to keep him in a straitjacket at all times. Otherwise, he would claw his eyes out to make it stop. And the worst thing of all is it wouldn't stop. Because it's all in his head. Uh, it is horrifying. Truly, truly a horror thing. And it really shows the callousness that the Psychor breeds. Uh, and how this is not an easy answer. As I brought up in a couple episodes ago and back in season one as well, the telepaths are a serious problem. We can't just lock them up and treat them as second-class citizens, but we can't just let them go willy-nilly because they have a legitimate power that can cause, you know, breaches of privacy or legitimate physical and mental harm. There has to be a line in the sand drawn somewhere. Uh, but where does the line, you know, get drawn between uh, privacy and security? It's a it's a very, very long, you know, complicated issue that has been talked about in real life history. You know, the privacy and security issue uh, and linked with, you know, racial bias for her decades you know centuries this is not something that's that that's ever going to be neatly solved and wrapped in a little bow um so like th th this this telepath thing you know you know franklin even has this like ultimate optimist speech which he's always been an optimist uh, but this really shows where optimism, something that I firmly believe in, I try to be an optimist myself, runs into a, re a, ne into a reality check. Where he's like, you know, this is why we're fighting this civil war is, uh, you know, for the right and the freedom to choose. And so, you know, we're going to solve this issue and we're going to come up with a better way that we can talk this out and free this up. And Lita, who's a telepath, who's part of this segregated and abused minority, uh, she has dealt with this all her life, and she understands there's a war coming. The, the differences between the telepaths and the mundanes cannot be resolved peacefully. Something's going to go down. And we see that, you know, already with the, the, you know, the quiet sort of attempt to 
uh, you know, pacify the telepaths by the mega corporations and the Psychor knowing something was up. So sending an agent who is not related to the Psychor Garibaldi to go and deal with the situation uh, and pacify it before it became a real threat. This is effectively a Cold War. And, you know, Garibaldi's actions uh, and thus the Psychor's actions stopped it from going hot in the middle of an already crazy hot civil war. Uh, but, you know, the, the, these are only the, the forestalling moments. Eventually, something's going to go down, and it's going to go down hard. Um, let's talk about the situation with Sheridan. Of course, Sheridan um, famously is kidnapped by the Clark regime at the, you know, basically... Uh, Garibaldi getting to him through his father. You know, he sold him out last episode and it really came to fruition here. And I like how repeatedly throughout this uh, th this episode, uh, Garibaldi is shown to be remorseful, to be um, concerned and reprehensive about this deal. He knows, he fully knows what he did is morally wrong and he knows what he did is a betrayal of his friendship uh and to his cause because you know he he's been chained by the sarcorn as we know now like he is fully blown himself it is just ramped up to 11 so his natural paranoia his natural rebelliousness his natural instinct to distrust authority figures all of that has been ramped up to, you know, its maximum potency as sort of a concoction to make Garibaldi explode. And so all the stuff that he does, you know, is something Garibaldi, the person, would have legitimately thought to do. Whether he would have done it or not is another thing, because he had, you know, a control over his uh, sensibilities, you know, his paranoia and stuff that he was ultimately trying to do the right thing. But now that those natural inhibitions have been, you know, diminished and his natural sort of negative personality traits have been, you know, accentuated, um, he doesn't have that lifeline anymore. And he, he even cracks, uh, you know, a little remark that the last person that did this got 30 pieces of silver for it, which is obviously a reference to Judas uh, and the betrayal of Jesus. And that really sells into the that Garibaldi is so, sort of knows what he did is wrong, but was predestined to do this as a result. Um and I think the scene where the betrayal actually happens in the bar, really well done, I think. Um, it, I, it has a nice escalation to it. I think there's a bit where the slow-mo, get, it gets a bit too much where, uh, you know, Sheridan uh, punches a guy and the guy goes suddenly flying through a window and it's all in slow-mo and dramatic lightning. And I don't think that that part of it works but everything else works where uh you know the camera swaying there's a fisheye lens the the lighting is bouncing in and out the the highlight certain expressions 
Um, everything seems woozy because Sheridan is, you know, being drugged and it's slow-mo. And then when the, the, the fight starts happening and, and Sheridan is literally having the snot beat out of him, um, Mike VR, the director had a brilliant idea. He brought in a still photographer and every time someone hit Sheridan, we see that hit moving through the normal camera and then the moment the hit connects we see a still photograph of Sheridan you know just that pain and anguish forever you know stuck on his face and then there's a flash and then it's back to the moving camera um this was a brilliant idea and this was not in the script at all um uh Mike Vihar actually went to JMS and said hey can I have the budget uh, can I take a part of this budget to pay for a still photographer? And he's like, why do you need a still photographer? He's like, trust me, you'll see, you'll see why. Uh, and then uh, the dailies came back and Jameis was like, this is brilliant. It's perfectly done. And I agree because uh, it really adds to the weight of what's going on. There's a, a storytelling style in comic books. Uh, and someone who, uh, you know, writes comics, who studied comics in university and uh, it, it, that's my favorite creative medium. There is a tendency to, because comics can convey movement through closure, you know, there's time between each panel, and so your mind fills in the gaps, that each, uh, each panel needs to convey the, the most significant portion of that movement uh, to help the reader in their imagination. And so when you're doing a fight, you don't want, you know, someone doing like a complicated, uh, Kung Fu stance or whatever martial arts stance. What you want is, you know, the impact of the blow, the see the pain and the anguish on the opponent, on the thrill and exhilaration on the person who was, you know, dealing out the damage, uh, so that you, we can really convey the emotions of the scene because a fight in all mediums should be conveying character first and foremost. Uh, and I think this was a really excellent way to do it with the still photography mixing in with the actual camera work. Um, now, Avonimu was completely right that it stinks of a trap and it stunk of a trap from the very beginning. But Sheridan has a very valid point when questioned on it. He was like, if it was your father, what would you do? Um, we have known, you know, since Sheridan first came on board, uh, you know, that he's had a strong connection to his father. And his father is sort of the basis of a lot of his beliefs. Uh, and, you know, there, 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 there's, this, there's this inherent bias within us uh, to uh, place our family above all else. Uh, it's a natural instinct, the preservation of our genealogy, our heritage. Uh, and um, as a result, I can't really blame him. Yeah, he's pretty much guaranteed that it was a trap. And he, and he knew most likely it was. Just like he knew with Anna that it was most certainly a trap. But he did it anyway. Because he couldn't risk... You know, he couldn't risk it. He, he had to take the chance. Uh, and there's certain emotionality that overrides logic in, you know, when your family or your loved one is brought into the equation. 
and so will someone like Ivanova, who doesn't have that personal connection, can immediately go, this stinks, this is, this is something wrong, you know, uh, there's, uh, there's just this overriding sense of duty that Sheridan has that I can't really blame him for, I would have done the same thing. Uh, now speaking of Ivanova, I like how she's done. The moment Sheridan is, you know, kidnapped and the Ayasid makes the propaganda announcement uh, that he's being well treated and blah blah, and it's intercut with him being beaten. Um, that she's like, and she she knows that it was Garibaldi who sold him out. She's like, you know, tell Babylon Five to stop receiving his calls. Don't answer him. And if he shows up, I want that son of a bitch shot on sight. She's done. Uh, I've been talking about this a lot. Her pessimism has been ingrained in her since the very beginning. Uh, all the way back in season one. And it was treated as a joke at first because of her inherent being a Russian. And that it's sort of inherent sort of ideology Russians tend to have of uh, all optimism has been beaten out of them over years and years of strife and turmoil. Uh, so pessimism and sort of degrading humor has become the only way they can get deal with life but over the course of the series it became more serious and we saw that as her you know her dad passed away uh as talia was taken away from her uh as everything slowly but surely dwindled down over and over and over again to the point that all hope was eventually lost to her um, and so she became, ultimately, the callous soldier. That's the only way she can deal with anything anymore, is her emotions are running hot, and she wants to end this, you know, any way she can. There's always more of them than there are of us, she said before. And, uh, that's why the moment Sheridan, the person that has been a friend to her since before the series began uh, and has sort of been a uh, friendly face, a mentor, and someone who brought hope and optimism back to her is now uh, been taken away from her. Yet again, something that she cares about, someone she cares about, has been taken forcibly by the world around her from her, from her own personal beliefs and feelings and emotions so as she says, you know, the person is expendable, the mission is not. You keep going. She's done. She has no interest in negotiation. She has no interest in her own life anymore. She believes firmly and concretely that this mission must be done and she will die for it. She's willing to martyr herself for it. She does not care anymore. Because what does she have to lose? She's already lost everything. It's a very pessimistic look on the world. Um, and that's going to be feeding into some stuff later this season. Um, so let's get into the actual big Garibaldi stuff. Uh, so the scene where he goes and he, uh, you know, he's in the rail car and Bester reveals that he was behind everything and he had Harlan Ellison uh, nice little cameo, you know, uh, reprogram, you know, his mind to accentuate his already natural instincts. 
it's a really good scene and it, it conveys the callousness uh, and cruelty of Bester that he saw Garibaldi you know, as nothing more than a tool, a tool to be used and then thrown away at his leisure. And he talks about that there is this idea that he could kill him. But nah, he's not capricious, he's not cruel in his own words. He'll let Garibaldi live. But it's the cruelest thing he could have done. If he had killed Garibaldi then and now, Garibaldi, you know, could be at least be at peace a little bit. Now, uh, he didn't even erase uh, the memories from Garibaldi's head. It's all freely there now, fully unlocked. You know, he is not uh, a puppet anymore, but nor is he ignorant of what's really going on. He knows everything that just happened to him. Uh, and he is now left there to live with the consequences and the full knowledge that Psychor only accentuated his personality, didn't alter it. So in a way, he has to deal with the fact that this isn't just Psychor's fault. It's his. Uh, and he's going to have to live with that guilt. And that's the cruelest thing imaginable. It's why the moment he regains full and utter control over his body and his consciousness, he screams bloody murder. Because how would you deal with that? Knowing that you were responsible for probably the death of one of your closest friends. You screwed up your entire career. Most of your friendships. Uh, you, you got the woman you love put in massive amounts of trouble, probably, uh, you know, uh, stopped the, the, you know, enslavement of an entire group of people, yes, but at the cost of, you know, them now gaining that technology and freely being able to, to reverse engineer it and use it against everybody else, knowing that they are a fascist sort of group that, that believes in their own uh, superiority. How are you going to deal with that? I mean, th that is something that would be mind-boggling to just wait. Basically, he was asleep the entire time, and he woke up to the world inherently being different, and it's all his fault. That has got to wreck him in some way, and we're going to be seeing that as time goes on, that this did fuck him up in some severe ways. And honestly, what Bester did by letting him live and retain all his memories was the cruelest action he could have taken. Uh, it really shows Bester's twisted mentality that he's able to twist it into this idea that he's doing Garibaldi a service. He's being kind. He's being generous. No, you're not, you little twerp. You're being the cruelest motherfucker alive because you can, because you have the power, and power enables you to abuse it. And it's the classic with all egomaniacs, twisted into a positive, just like Edgar's. Edgar's twists this entire scenario about the enslavement and overcoming of, you know, natural evolution to uh, make the telepath subservient as a good thing. And he catches himself, you know, the telepath problem, and then he stops and he goes, the telepath problem will be solved. You know, that entire scene, it's him convincing himself that this was morally right to do. He knows deep down what he did was wrong, reprehensible, 
but he did it anyway because he has the self-absorbed, ego, egotistical, uh, narcissistic belief that he is the savior of the human race, and it was his duty, his responsibility to do it. Uh, Besser and Edgar's, ironically, aren't all that different people. They're just on two side, two opposite sides of this ideological conflict. If you boil them down, they are very similar. They both are self-sacrificial, egomaniacal narcissists who believe in doing the wrong thing for the wrong reasons, but in their mind, it's the right thing for the right reasons and their own belief in their own personal superiority. Um, that is... It's chilling. This is a really fantastic episode, and I think that ending, especially that news broadcast where we get, you know, uh, Sheridan really, uh, you know... Uh, quote-unquote being treated perfectly even though he's you know in an isolated room handcuffed and probably starving um and a clark is you know announced a celebrational period uh that where he's increasing curfew uh so, so that we can uh celebrate this situation and they're propagandizing that sheridan feels sorry for his actions and he's no longer brainwashed and that this sort of feeds into uh, the brainwashing that they have been doing against uh, to their own soldiers by saying that Sheridan's rebellion will basically force a surrender, then execute them all, and then replace everybody on the ship with Minbari. It's complete hogwash, but it's something that feeds into the inherent xenophobia built into Clark's, the Clark regime. And then the haunting bit where Garibaldi goes to Edgar's, you know, sees everybody dead, and all he cares about, he wants to get lease, and he can't find lease anywhere, and he that's all he cares about now. He has lost everything, everything is fucked, it's all his fault, but right now, the one thing that matters most is the woman he loves, and he's going to make sure she's alright. Right now, because if he can control anything, it's that he loves her, and that's it. That's all that matters now. Every other bridge has been burned. And while he's doing that, we get that chilling voiceover of uh, the the ISN newscaster saying, you know, that, that Sheridan was turned in by his own chief of security, Michael Garibaldi, and their thanks goes out to a true hero of the people. A hero of the Clark regime against his own will. The sad and bitter truth of it all. Really sick, really dark and just think, considering what next episode is, it can only get darker from here. Till then, see ya. Bye.